You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Program Reflections with your host Zubair Akram and my guest Sheikh Radwan Muhammad. Today, it's, uh, uh, we are on the 10th of Ramadan, 4th of May. Uh, time just now is 7.33. Iftar is going to be at 9.09. Iftar is at 9 past 9 today. So the days are getting longer. Uh, and it's quite a big of, uh, bit of a jump every day. Uh, we started Ramadan at 8.50 and now we are on almost 10 past 9. So 9 past 9 is going to be uh, our opening of Iftar today. Uh, I welcome my guest. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, Sheikh, so we have been discussing Surah um, Kahf for now last 10 days, uh, different themes, well, one story with different themes, and the, the, the most basic thing that we, was a learning point for me yesterday, was how to approach Qur'an, um, and that is its, uh, its scenes, uh, it cuts from one story to the next, one story to the next, within uh, a few frames within a story. Uh, and what we're going to listen to today is again the same kind of reminder to us that how one story that is carrying on uh, ends and then there is a different frame and today's ayahs are going to tell us that it has probably nothing to do apparently with the story itself but it's going to go into some principles. So, uh, today's ayahs are ayah 28 to 32. Let's uh, get to the recitation of it, and inshallah we'll ask for your comments. In the name of Allah, the absolutely merciful, the especially merciful. وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاةِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَهُ وَلَا تَعْدُ عَيْنَاكَ عَنْهُمْ تُرِيدُ زِينَةَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَلَا تُطِعْ مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا وَاتَّبَعَ هَوَاهُ وَكَانَ أَمْرُهُ فُرُطًا And keep yourself patiently with those who call on their Lord morning and afternoon seeking His face. And let not your eyes overlook them, desiring the pomp and glitter of the life of the world. And do not obey Him whose heart we have made heedless of our remembrance, one who follows his own lusts and whose affair has been lost. وَقُلِ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنُ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرُ إِنَّا أَعْتَدْنَا لِلظَّالِمِينَ نَارًا أَحَاطَ بِهِمْ سُرَادِقُهَا وَإِنْ يَسْتَغِيثُوا يُغَاثُوا بِمَاءٍ كَالْمُهْلِ يَشْوِي الْوُجُوهِ بِئْسَ الشَّرَابُ وَسَاءَتْ مُرْتَفَقًا And say, The truth is from your Lord. Then whosoever wills, let him believe. And whosoever wills, let him disbelieve. Verily, We have prepared for the wrongdoers a fire 
whose walls will be surrounding them. And if they ask for help, they will be granted water like boiling oil that will scald their faces. What a terrible drink and an evil dwelling. إن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات إنا لا نضيع أجر من أحسن عملا. Verily, as for those who believe and do righteous deeds, certainly we shall not suffer to be lost the reward of anyone who does his deeds in the most perfect manner. لهم جنات عدن تجري من تحتهم الأنهار يحلون فيها من أساور من ذهب ويلبسون ثيابا ويلبسون ثيابا خضرا من سندس وإستبرق متكئين فيها على الأرائك نعم الثواب وحسنت مرتفقا For them will be gardens of Eden in paradise wherein rivers flow beneath them Therein they will be adorned with bracelets of gold, and they will wear green garments of fine and thick silk. They will recline therein on raised thrones. How good is the reward, and what an excellent dwelling! And present to them the example of two men. Unto one of them we had given two gardens of grapes, and we had surrounded both with date palms, and had put between them green crops. Each of those two gardens brought forth its produce and did not fail in the least therein. And we caused a river to gush forth in the midst of them. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So this is, um, so yes, we could be completed of um, the section on Ashab al-Kahf And this section is a, is a, is a change again uh, as, as we've said the Quran moves between um, Different um, scenes and different contexts And different types of people that are being spoken to We take a jump tempor- temporally in terms of the time From the time of you know around a year 200, 200 years after the the death of the Prophet Isa, Or the passing to the heavens of the Prophet Isa alayhi salatu wasalam um, and then the raising up of the Ashab al-Kahf from their slumber um, to the time of the Prophet ﷺ, which is in Mecca al-Mukarramah. And remember this this next section, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, بِاللَّهِ شَيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُنَ وَجْهَا It's directly um, addressing the Prophet ﷺ and saying, O Muhammad, have patience with yourself, with those that beseech and call upon and supplicate your Lord uh, in the mornings and in the in the afternoon, in the mornings and in the later parts of the day. You read on a wajha and desiring nothing but the the the, the, the countenance, meaning the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, 
And then the Prophet ﷺ is, is told, do not, and this is quite interesting, do not let your eyes overlook them. Don't overlook these people. Um, why? Due to being distracted by the zinat al-hayat al-dunya, by the distraction and the, and the pomp, and you would say the embellishments of worldly life. So this is interesting because it moves from, right away from the discussion, historical discussion of the, of, of the sleepers of the cave, straight to an order to the Prophet ﷺ to take care and be wary of neglecting the people that are around him ﷺ. And these people are the, are the people who are the companions in Mecca al Muqarramah. And what we know from them, from their, from their um, demeanor and their, their socio-economic class, in society is that they were the downtrodden, they were the have-nots, they were the slaves, they were the, the women, folk, the, the children, young adults, um, economically deprived, the, the lower tribes, essentially. And very few of them were healed, well-healed in terms of um, prosperity. You have examples like Musab ibn Umayr from aristocratic families, but the majority of them were essentially people that the rest of Quraysh society didn't view with any type of respect. In fact, they considered them to be downtrodden and, and considered to be you know, second-rate citizens. If not even citizens, in fact, they wouldn't have the quality of being citizens at all. They would be basically owned and ordered. And so, in the context of this specific um, chapter, this is interesting because you can see that the Quraysh are wary of the Prophet they're, they're, they're actually worried about the Prophet's message now to the point that they're having to ask external help from the rabbis to un, 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 unpick the Prophet's mind. And so there, there is this kind of understanding in the Quraysh that they have to do something. Mm. Now what do they do? There are different options. They could be very aggressive or they could be passive or they could be accepting. Now the thing that stops them accepting is the fact that the people around the Prophet are the downtrodden. So say for example, if they did say, we will follow the Prophet because his teachings are gathering um, traction and they are you know, sensible teachings. The thing that did stop them, one of the things, was the fact that the, the Prophet was surrounded by people that they considered to be unbefitting of their company. Mm. Slaves and, and servants and, and, and tribes, people who were of lower castes. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds the Prophet Ali salatu wasalam, not that he needed reminded, but to remind him, wasbir nafsika, you know, keep yourself patient with those that, you know, are the real cream of the earth, the real salt of the earth, the real people who Allah's attention and, and pleasure and um, protective care envelops, which is the people that are downtrodden. And because they, they're constantly in the remembrance of Allah, and they're almost like the Ashab al-Kahf. You know, they're, they're exactly like the people we've been talking about who are people who turned their back on the trappings of the world and remained obedient to God despite the difficulties that they would have faced. That this the same analogy that's here, which is, you know, the Ashab al-Kahf turned their back, whatever the repercussions. The people around the Prophet have turned their backs, mm-hmm. again, whatever the repercussions. So it's almost as if the Prophet is being... Um, are reminded of the fact that the story of the Ashab al-Kahf, which is so amazing, is the story of the companions any less amazing, or any less important for humanity, any less impactful 
on this future of human civilization. And we would now say, yes, it was more impactful than the Seven Sleepers. The Seven Sleepers becomes almost like a fable. Mm. Um, it may be a parable here, but it's a fable, essentially, if you look at how many people know about it, how many people mention it. But when you talk about the companions of the Prophet and the impact they've had is far greater um, in terms of the conquest that they had, but even the, the fact that we know their names, we know so much about the companions of the Prophet so it's almost as if Allah is telling the Prophet ﷺ that these people who are around you who seem to be insignificant, they're not insignificant because of the simple qualities that they have, that they call upon Allah, their Lord, in the mornings and the afternoon, seeking nothing except the countenance of Allah. And do not therefore overlook them. Seeking instead, you know when you overlook something, you overlook it for something else. Hmm. You know, you overlook somebody for a job. You bypass somebody for a job. The person you bypass may be the right person. You think somebody else is better, so you kind of bypass. So Allah is telling the Prophet, don't bypass this, which seems to be um, people who are unbefitting of your company because they are downtrodden. For people that are the aristocrats, the people that are um, wealthy and well-heeled, those are not the people that you should be um, seeking um, their company from. Why? وَلَا تُطِعَ do not obey man aghfalna qalbahu an dhikrina the people do not obey the people whose hearts we have caused to fall into heedlessness from our remembrance wattaba'a and as a result the person follows their own desires wa kana amruhu furuta and the end result of this person who is neglectful and heedless of allah is that they are in utter loss furuta is like this idea of being um unaided and unabetted by anything completely um, ignorance, ignorant of the path that they're taking. So the Prophet has given a very clear um, reminder hmm. to him for us. So it's like, like we come into that so situation. From, from the story to Prophet mm-hmm. and from that, from this to us. Yeah, because if the Prophet is being spoken to, the lesson that we're hearing the Prophet being given, we instantly are taking the order to ourselves. Wasbir nafsaka. So the sabr mm-hmm. is for Prophet mm-hmm. So th- there is an element of sabr required mm-hmm. to be dealing with people who you instantly don't feel are the same par, same level mm-hmm. of intellect, mm-hmm. same social class. Mm-hmm. It seems that's a running theme throughout. Like Abasa wa Tawalla. So Abasa wa Tawalla is. is uh, and that that, ver- that chapter of the Quran is interesting because it's similar in terms of the environment within which the context within which the verses are revealed <coughs> that he frowned and turned away. Hmm. Frowned is is not a good translation. He 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 was distracted and turned away. So it means that the Prophet was intending to do something that he felt would be for the betterment of the community, and in doing that, he neglected somebody. Who Allah said in hindsight mm. is closer to Allah than anything that you can attain. Now this is very interesting because it's very similar to the story of, you know, when we'll talk to talk about the story of Khidr and the Prophet Musa, alayhimussalam. The idea of the, what the Prophet did at that moment was actually correct. Like he was trying mm. to convert the person that if they converted, the hardship for the person who was seeking the Prophet's Attention mm-hmm. would have been lessened. Mm. Do you understand? So you're talking to somebody who you don't like, but if you 
get them and convince them on something, the person who's suffering, who wants to speak to you, will no longer suffer and perhaps will have an easier life. And so the Prophet did what he did at that time was absolutely correct. But it seems that the the but the, the point divine... no, no, the point I'm trying to make is that choice at that point was correct. But Allah is remember we'll talk about this in the story of Khidr and Musa. God's idea of time is different from our idea of time. Yeah. God knows that that person will remain stubborn and neglectful and heedless. And so Allah is is reminding them, remind the Prophet of the same thing that the Prophet Musa is reminded by Prophet Khidr, that the ultimate end of something is based upon God's ultimate knowledge, and you don't know that. And so in this situation, um, be kind and and attentive to the person who is poor but is observant of Allah's remembrance. But on the worldly aspect, on the on the on the, on the base of cause and effect. What the Prophet did was exactly correct, and anybody, and and this is interesting about it, that you know the chapter Surah Abbas Wa is not there for us to act upon, because the Sharia would say the same thing. You know, very few people actually mention or even pay attention to this. Is that in that situation, the greater good is to try that attempt to change that person who will make things much better for more people. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? And that, that should be the done thing. It's still the done thing. It so is, uh, this is interesting. I find about you know, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu had people um, disciplined if they recited Surah Abbas wa constantly mm. in the prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Trust him. Because I mean, um, and, and I would reissue that fatwa. <laughs> uh, under, I mean, reissue his fatwa. I wouldn't give a fatwa. I would give reissue the, the fatwa of the, the great Khalifa <coughs> against people that show enmity towards him. Yeah. Radiallahu yeah. anhu. Yeah. Um, you know, it's far greater for, for, than, than me to to mention his 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 um, qualities. But the point is, Sayyidina Umar understood that, and he understood the the propensity of that to be misunderstood, and therefore what he essentially was saying is that in that context, the Prophet did not make a mistake. He was corrected based upon the hindsight of God's wisdom. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody. I think if he was give a bit he of a was corrected. Um, Abbas wa Tawalla is uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi speaking to uh, one of the the main main um, Qurayshi leaders, and in the in the context of that, the Prophet was was so engaged in the conversation that he felt he would become Muslim. Hmm. So, and this was a time when the Muslims were going through difficulties and they're being tortured by the Quraysh, and so the change of this one leader would mean that the torture and the and the and the and the economic sanctions and the difficult, real, real difficulties of hunger and starvation would disappear. So the Prophet was so engaged in trying to convince the person, engaging and engaging, that one of the poorer companions came to the Prophet and, and sought a word in his ear. And the Prophet turned and just continued to speak to the, the Qurayshi leader. Now, that turning away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, granted the Prophet the advice of. It would be in the realm of the of reality of the unseen. It'd be better for you to have turned to the person who mentions God night and day. Mm. Mm. But that's based upon the fact that Allah's knowledge, foreknowledge of the Qurayshi leaders' lack of embrace of Islam, which meant that you may well feel that this is better in terms of cause and effect in the world, but in fact, in reality, that one person who 
is in the world indicated to be nothing compared to this great tribal leader is more in the eyes of God. Mm. So, uh, although we know and w- what we're saying that Prophet Sallallahu so this is the same the, kind the of right co- thing, the correct yeah. thing, mm-hmm. but the divine sophistication mm. or Allah sophistication required mm. even to ignore the correctness at the time mm-hmm. and just be correct with how to deal with people the way they should be dealt with at the time. So, regardless of what the results are, mm-hmm. you don't focus on results; you mm-hmm. focus on the action. Not exactly, because my point is different. My point that I'm thinking of is different. Is that you don't focus on the on the the, the result or the action. It, the, here, it, you have a situation where you know that you have an obligation to remove evil, mm-hmm. remove harm, re- <clears throat> remove oppression. How do you do that? By engaging with the person that's oppressing, and so you have to engage with that. And if that means you know you do this do this every day. If you're um, you know a child comes to you, you know, ma'asum, beautiful mm. child, and you engage in something that's going to be a, to the long-term betterment of the child. The fact that you, you know, if you were rude to somebody you're speaking to, like I don't know, you can think of anything. Imagine um, you try and get them into a nursery or a school, and they're trying to see how you speak and how you are, and they're trying to understand what you're saying. They've got two minutes to listen to you. Now, are you going to drop that conversation and speak to the child and say, "Okay, what would you like to eat, or or shall I help you draw?" The conversation drops. They drop their place in, in nursery or, or school. What's the benefit to the child? So the yeah. cost benefit is yeah. clearly you continue with that conversation. But what Allah was 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 indicating is the the the, the capacity of the unseen to change the whole equation. That you never know where the weightier thing is. Because some people will just say, "Well, he was a, the person that was a kafir." Qurayshi, and you should just care for the believers. I think that's a very superficial way of looking at the verse. Because um, the reason why I'm saying it's superficial is because if you're, in, if you're in the same situation, now the Prophet some Sharia and his teachings indicate that you should engage with that person. Hmm. Yeah. Is, is it not the case? I yeah. mean, yeah. everything I know about Sharia is Siyasa Sharia, Ibn Taymiyyah is written about Ibn Qayyim. Um, Imam Al-Haramain Al-Ghazali They've all written about that context of the greater good Yeah. And in this, there's no comparison to be honest So Allah is giving what we call ta'deeb You know, deep, deep um, dis- not, You wouldn't even call it discipline You would call it, you call it inculcating etiquette within the Prophet To elevate him to be even ref- more refined mm-hmm. To know that even in the conversation that takes place You should be aware of the fact that this person is far more weighty in the eyes of God than the other person. Like the Prophet, I remember he in Medina he had a similar similar situation where he saw a, a person coming into the mosque, very well healed, very affluent, prayed and left. And the Prophet asked the companions, "What do you think of this person?" They said, "He is he is well healed and affluent and rich to the point that if he was to seek intercession for somebody and help somebody, people would listen to him if he sought." The hand of a woman in marriage, the people would give their daughters and, and, and women folk to him to marry. You know, in other words, he's somebody who is, you know, high up in society. And then the Prophet then watched another person come in who prayed and left. And the companions were again asked by the Prophet, asked him, who do you think about this person? And they said, this is a person that is you know, poor and unhealed in society. And if he, if, he was, if he was to seek to help somebody, no one would listen to his uh, appeal for help. If he was to seek the hands of a woman in marriage, nobody would give, you know, pay attention to him. 
And the Prophet looked at them and said, you know, one of these is better than Mil'ul Ardi Min Hadha, is weightier in the eyes of God than the, the earth full of the other person. So, in the sense of reality, yes, the, the rich person is nothing compared to the poor person that's connected to God. I mean, the rich person disconnected to God is nothing compared to the, the poor person connected to God, as is the rich person connected to God is far greater than the poor person not connected to God. It's mm. not about riches or poorness. It's not about knowledge or lack of knowledge. It's about your connection to God. And so, the, the uh, Surah Abasa is essentially that. It is elevating the Prophet's um, character. And this is something related to yesterday as well. And do not say about anything that you will do it tomorrow unless you say, mm. except God wills. Now the point of those verses was to elevate the Prophet and Abu Mansur al-Maturidi says that um, the Prophets are always tested and they're always given choices so that they also get the reward of making the better choice. You know, mm. like they're not angels. So how do they get reward? They get a reward from resisting something and taking something else. Mm-hmm. Like when you, you get reward in your life, if you think about it, in religion you get reward for leaving something and doing something else in return. Just the fact that we, because we are following the mm-hmm. life of the prophets mm-hmm. and following the life of Prophet mm-hmm. so we are assured that nothing in his actions will ever be uh, left uncorrected. They mm-hmm. always be corrected. Mm-hmm. So ultimately they will be in its form that could can be followed. Mm-hmm. Yes. That that's the that's the rule, is it? Yes, I mean they are they they are not corrected. They are they are justified and rectified for our benefit. Mm. So here it's the 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 application of that is to our, ourselves. So this is not a, a addressed to the Prophet only. It's an address to us because we will find ourselves in the same situation. We have two options, and Allah will say, "Don't just think because that is glistening like gold." And this is, it seems to be dull, that the gold is what you go for. You know, the thing that's hidden, The Prophet said that how many a person, dusty and disheveled, if they swore to Allah about anything, God would grant them it. Mm-hmm. So, it's the issue of Dajjal, this Surah Al-Kahf is all about Dajjal. The thing, Zinat Al-Hayat Al-Dunya, is that kind of embellishment of worldly life, which makes you bypass the thing that has weight. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, straight away says, وَلَا تَعْدُوا Do not allow your eyes to overpass them or serp- or pass by them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you will do when the Dajjal comes, when you will see the zina and the embellishment and the glistening, you will be attracted to that. And the Qur'an is basically saying, bypass it. Bypass to the reality. So Dajjal it will constantly give you something that will entertain at a close proximity to you. And that will lead to you to not thinking about what's beyond that. Mm. And so this is exactly the same thing. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقُولِ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ And say the truth is from your Lord. فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنْ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرْ And whoever wills, let them believe and whoever wishes to do it, let them disbelieve. But know inna a'tadna lilalimina nara. But know that we have prepared for those that are um you know unjust zulm nara we prepared for them for, for them a, a fire aha tabihim suradiquha whose walls will envelop them. 
And so Allah is basically saying the just deserts, the people that are unjust to, towards God and, and, and the believers will be exactly what is there. They will get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And so don't worry about the end result. You know, so if you do consider yourself to be engaged with somebody who's important, remember if they, dis- if they reject, they will still get the, re- the, the reward or the punishment from God that they deserve. And so, can, 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 can I, sorry, take you back to Ayah 28 again? Mm-hmm. There are a couple of things I just really genuinely want to understand. Two or three concepts. Number one is sabr. Mm-hmm. Uh, sabr on what? Mm-hmm. And the uh, the second is zinat al hayat al dunya. How does that uh, it, how, how does it tie in with the element of sabr? So sabr is something you, you're trying to go against the grain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your sentiments or your emotions are going naturally in a flow which comes naturally to you. Mm-hmm. But you're asked to refrain <coughs> to feel those emotions mm-hmm. and feel something different. Mm-hmm. Although this is what you're feeling right now, but you should be feeling. So mm-hmm. the feeling of uh, getting, uh, being attentive to people who are socially well healed mm-hmm. is a natural thing. I mean, we see this. Every day in our own lives here, mm-hmm. pe- people who are of in any position of leadership of any sort, they're always be accused of, uh, are you looking down? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you're haughty, you're, you're proud, mm-hmm. you're selective in mm-hmm. who you talk to. That's yes. always the case. So it seems there is, it's not just us, mm-hmm. even this is to the Prophet mm-hmm. it's been said. And, um, and, and sabr is towards this attitude, towards this, or sabr is this sabr is re- referring to something else. So this this sabr is related. Sabr is of different types. So you have sabr in, in terms terms of terms of affliction. That's the, more, that's the one everybody knows about patience in, in the face of affliction. You also have patience in 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 in, in the path of continuing on on right actions, for example. Hmm. So sabr ala ta'a is a concept that the scholars talk about, which is. To remain constant in the five prayers, to remain constant in your fasting of the month, to remain constant in different things. So sabr can be also related to sabr ala tark al maasi, which is to have patience in your uh, in your you know removing yourself from things that are sinful. What is mentioned here is a sabr ala ta'a, which is patience upon an act of goodness, an act of of, of obedience to God, which is showing. Concern to the people that other people consider to be downtrodden. Mm-hmm. So the idea of sabr is to be patient, doing an act of worship which is difficult for you, but this act of worship is good social interaction with people who are downtrodden. That because the other alternative is to zintal hayat dunya, which is to easily be taken in by the embellishments of worldly life. So you have two options. Sabr is always about options. Remember, hmm. sabr is about sabr about ala ta'a, which is a you know patience on worship, patience on leaving sin, patience in difficult in in the face of difficulties. In all these situations, you can do two things. The more difficult is the one that you require patience for, and so the problem is being told to have patience in this. The more difficult path is to stick with the people that are seeking the the, the countenance of Allah and the and, and the reward of Allah from Him. And leave aside the people that it's easier for you to fall in, in with. It's much more 
easier in your call to Allah that you fall in with them because mm. they have power, they have might, they have wealth, they have influence. But that compared to what they, the, the person of God has, you know, we would say is nothing because that's why Surah Al-Kahf shows this idea of, you know, they were true and then God protected them. Mm. So the person who the Prophet is told to be, 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 be wary of in terms of caring for them is of a similar nature that they have insisted on, on, on being true to God, then God will protect them. And then in the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, when you come to the, you know, the sequence of the conquest of Mecca to Al-Muqarma, it becomes very clear that that is exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing of sabr. Sabr is essentially um, sabr ala ta'a here. And then, you know, the worldly life is obviously the thing that is pulling you. It's the other option. It's, it's, it's because, the, because, you know, the mirror of that, Mm-hmm. Or the opposite pole of that is Al-Akhirah mm-hmm. Which is the person calling upon God Morning and, and evening They're seeking God Seeking the hereafter And then the the, the, the next half of this ayah What's the link? I, I just can't find the link And do not obey one whose heart we have made heedless mm-hmm. Of our remembrance mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, yeah, you're, you're talking about sabr, you're talking about how to conduct yourself mm-hmm. with people who are maybe less powerful. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it goes to That's related to what's before before that. Okay. You know, the problem is being told have patience with this person who calls upon God, who is poor and, and neglected. Don't be distracted by worldly embellishments to bypass this person who is elevated in the eyes of God to somebody else that is wealthy mm-hmm. and is well-heeled and is influential and powerful because that will be make the, your job easier. And then therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تُطِعَ Because the person who you're going to turn towards instead of the person who's close to God is a person whose heart Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made heedless to his remembrance. And also it's a person who has followed their own desires. فُرُطَ And they are essentially lost. How can you seek after somebody that's lost? So furuta is lost. Furuta is to be, furta is just to be um, dispersed. Afratu tafrit. Uh, so it's this idea of, of having no, essentially no central niyas, so no central core um is it's either very high or very low. Yeah, it's just shattered. It's scattered, shattered, uh, indecisive, and um, you know, you almost dishevelled in terms of where it is. Subhanallah. Do you understand? So, if you identify yourself like this, what do you do? No, I mean, you don't <laughs> identify yourself with anything. You just you continue on with the fact that the problem is being told. These are two types of people. Take care of this person because they're for the akhirah and for ethical life. Leave it, even if the other person has the embellishments of worldly existence and and and, mm. and wealth, because that person's heart is We have made their heart completely neglectful of our remembrance, and therefore, It's almost as if it's saying because they're not remembering God, what do you expect except that they'll be lost. Scattered. So the direct result of not following the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is you become lost in your path of life. Yes, heedlessness is essentially 
Rafla, the fact that you, you have no um, core connection with God, which means that because your center has disappeared, you will follow every other thing that appears in front of you, which will be... This is why they, they say that Imam Junaid al-Baghdari said that ghafla is the core of all spiritual diseases because if you have... Because the opposite of ghafla is iqad, which is remembrance of God and dhikr. Okay, that means presence. So if you're neglectful of God, you're forgetful of God, you have to be remember, remembering something in your life. Everybody has to have something. They, they get up from the morning, they desire and they mm. work towards. And so basically, if it's not the pleasure of God, it's the pleasure of something else. And because we're human beings with bodies and, and, and uh, we have nafs, which is uh, the ego, then the closest thing is the world, and therefore the world becomes the zinat al-hayat dunya It becomes the thing that takes your place. And therefore you're actually basically running after numerous things until you get, reach your grave. So it's almost as if the grave's in front of you. Mm-hmm. The things that you're chasing will lead you to your grave, not knowing that you're not knowing that it's going to lead you to your grave. But essentially, that is what it is: pleasures and distractions and entertainments and amusements. Essentially, easing of your quality of life with no purpose. Essentially, will take you to you will at some point trip into your grave. Yeah, you with no just... purpose. So the furuta is this idea that you've just got all these things that you're constantly so if... food, travel, entertainment. Um, you know, just all these things, and before you know it, tick, 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 in your in your grave. Hmm. That's furuta. Furuta is just dis- uh, disheveled, uh, 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 is scattered. It, can this be translated of utter sense of or utter lack of focus? Yeah, furuta is, is essentially that. As I mentioned it's it's a lack of us core. Lack of core. So when I said I was explaining it by niya, the niya is the idea that you have a core intent, purpose, purpose intent. Which is related to to the obedience of God, ethical life or core principles, and mm-hmm. so the, this verse essentially is is giving that contrast, and then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala you know mentions that they will have something prepared for them, and if they ask for water, they will be given water. Kalmuhli yashwil It will be like boiling water, which will which will lacerate the faces of the people that drink it. This is the worst of, of drinks And it's the worst of um, Resting places End results And then Allah then After having shown what the Prophet should do And, and given him an insight Into what the end of these people will be That he may have Tried to follow into You know Calling them to Islam despite whatever Allah creates a contrast of what is in store for them and then says that as for those that believe and do good actions which are pure indeed we will never um, make the actions of those people um, go to waste so that in the Quran it always has this very interesting idea of contrast you know, mm-hmm. on this hand, on that hand, on this hand, the zinat al-hayat al-dunya. On the other hand, a person calling Allah night and day. On this hand, the result of that, which is the punishment the hereafter, and the result of the other person is this. You know, for these people, they will have the gardens of Eden. We're we're under rivers will flow, um, and then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Yuhalluna." 
fiha. And this is interesting because they'll be adorned. Yuhaluna, this is interesting word because it means they'll be adorned and embellished by something, which mm. is what? Bracelets of gold, and they will wear green garments of fine and thick silk. They will recline therein on raised thrones. Muttakiin. Muttakiin is like to chill mm. in ease after having toiled. Because muttakiin, people don't understand this, but muttaki is something you do after you've toiled, yeah, after you've struggled. Takia. You know, when you, if you're just relaxing and laying back, and you've not done anything, you don't enjoy that. Yeah. So if you've done a, if you've done something and achieved something, and then you, then you do muttaki. Then you 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 recline back after you've achieved something, mm-hmm. like Alexander the Great conquered whatever he conquered. Then if he sat on his throne, he would recline. Mm. Do you understand? So people always think they're just sitting, but the reclining is based upon the fact that you were doing something before that. It's a movement. So they're reclining upon these things, and they will recline therein on raised thrones. How good is it as a reward, and what an excellent. Resting place. So that is, you know, Allah says, وَسَاءَتْ مُرْتَفَقَ For the people in hellfire, what an evil resting place. And for these people, وَحَسُنَتْ مُرْتَفَقَ And what a blessed, you know, excellent, hmm. pure, elevated, excellent place of repose. And then Allah says, وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثَلًا And this is when it goes into the parable of the two men with the gardens um, which is essentially carrying on from this whole discussion, which is the contrast. You know, there's always contrast, good and evil, close to God, distant from God, attentive towards God, heedless of God, and then the results of that group of people and the results of this group of people. You will see that played out in the parable. So the same parable, that we, the same example the Prophet is living through will then be brought to mind to him to be recited to the companions and the Quraysh, to show them, essentially, you have two types of people. People that are thankful and people that are unthankful. Mm. Thankful are the people that are believers in God, which are a person who has faith. And then an unthankful person, which is basically kufr. So kufr in Arabic means to cover over, to be ungrateful, from Kufran ni'am to be unrecognizing and ungrateful for Allah's blessings. And so this chapter seems to jump between, you know, the beginning, which is, you know, a very strong beginning about the the type of revelation this is, which is strong and غير عوج, it has no, um, you know, crookedness in it, to the movement into the Ashab al-Kahf, to a discussion about the Medinan period. Now it's going to jump into a timeless parable. The parable is almost like it's it's set in some kind of idyllic, non-worldly context. Mm. Like it's, it's almost like Fiction. a perfect, it's almost a fictional parable, but it's real. But o- of two people, yeah, of two people who have gardens are, are been blessed with, with amazing things. But one of them falls into the trap of what we would call. Remember, we talked this chapter. The, the essential kind of one of the pivots of this chapter is. Um, misreading and mis, um, you know, kind of is mis. I would. It's a kind of interesting. You misperceive things. You misperceive time. What we've discussed thoroughly is the, the. So you misperceive time. You misperceive cause and effect. Yes. You misperceive blessings. So this chapter is all about misperception. 
Well, there's a word that we used yesterday quite a bit. It's not. It's the uh, uh, your your yeah perception, mm-hmm. uh, the context, mm-hmm. uh, kind of framing the argument in the, in the right frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how how to? I, I'm forgetting the word. <laughs> it must yeah, be perception, <laughs> because it, what's interesting here is again it's 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 based on the material. You end up misperceiving, and then you end up making a jump with your ego into a place where you shouldn't go, which is, in this situation, arrogance and vanity, which will be this idea that you have more wealth and more offspring, you have greater gardens, and it will never disappear, and not thinking of where it came from. Whereas the other person will remind you, God did this to you, God created you, sustained you, provided for you, and why don't you just say, you know, uh, you know, why do, why not ascribe it to God? Mm-hmm. The, the story is then, uh-huh. the story is of these two people, mm-hmm. uh, that each of them had two gardens produced its fruit and did not fall short thereof in anything. Mm-hmm. So and, they, they're abundant, both yeah. were blessed with abundance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it be caused to gush forth within them a river. So the, mm-hmm. it's, it's a beautiful scene. The, set. the picture is, uh, I, it's almost like idyllic. That's why I was saying it's almost otherworldly, where you have everything you want. It's almost like a, a description of paradise. Yeah, yeah. But what's introduced is the psychology of one of the people, and then the the retort and response of the person that is well healed, well grounded in belief in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And he says, "I'm greater than you in wealth and mightier in numbers of men." Yeah, because he's probably thinking, I have all this. Well, why do you think I have all this? Well, it's me, wealthier, more powerful. And it's ascribing everything to the self. Hmm. You know, that's the thing. I mean, you can be rich. And if you ascribe it to God, what you've said is that you are poor. Allah is the rich and I'm taking care of his wealth. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you're rich and you say it's from Allah, you're essentially a custodian of God's wealth. But yeah. God has put you in the, with the keys, like the Prophet Yusuf was given the keys of the the harvests. So you, that you you're being grateful to God by by See, doing this, that. This whole absence of God in any conversation mm-hmm. is the biggest ill of this civilization that we live in. God is never. Mentioned. Where does that question come from? I, I'm just thinking the 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 mightier nations, the mm-hmm. the mightier leaders, mm-hmm. they would never include God in conversation. Mm. Anything is from Allah. Nothing is from. It's my endeavor. It's my action. Mm. We are a mighty nation. We are a mighty community. We have Silicon Valley because we are just smart. We have worked hard. Mm-hmm. The biggest film industry we have because we know how to do things. Mm. Nothing comes from Allah mm. in anyone's mind. And mm. that's the story here. I think... Um I, there's there's slight observ- I mean America for example you know is strange because it is it is by constitution it is a secular state but the public life and it can't invoke religion for policy um, so it's, it's a complete separation America is a complete separation of church and state but if you look at the pronouncements of its presidents in times of need in times of crisis they always invoke the name of God Um so that's just an observation because it's it's a, it's a religious country whose 
intellectual and cultural icons are irreligious. So it's a very strange, America's a very strange um, society because it creates the exception to what you're saying. But what you're saying is correct. You mm. know, the mightier you get, the more you ascribe it to your own abilities than mm. the abilities of God or thanking God. Mm. America's an anomaly because it has a religious um, narrative which is extremely strange, evangelical, illogical kind of strand of Christianity. Um, whereas in Europe, for example, you have a much more intelligent, um, rigorous Christianity, where its practice is in the obviously in the decline. But yes, um, religion is not part of public discourse at all in Europe, mm. Sweden, come back to this anywhere after this ad break. Uh, I, I wasn't referring to religion per se, but mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, uh, reflections with Sheikh Rizwan. Uh, on Radio Ramadan this is uh, Radio Ramadan's uh, 12-year-old program Reflections uh, the 12th consecutive one uh, Alhamdulillah we are able to bring you these reflections every day from half past 7 till uh, iftar time iftar today is 9.09 so Reflections uh, with uh, your host Zubair Akram and my guest Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad um, Surah Kahf um, fortunate, Alhamdulillah, people who are listening and uh, it's, it's a good fortune for me and everybody around who are uh, involved in this program uh, in any form. Uh, it's on iSyllabus website, it is on our Facebook Live uh, and it is also on our FM uh, 87.7 along with our medium wave 1530. <laughs> uh, just a reminder as well that... Uh, we will be continuing after Eid uh, with our um, 24 hour radio station, uh, Radio Ramadan 365 on medium wave, which is 1530 a.m. and DAB uh, on DAB radio and our, uh, on our website, listen live uh, or through our tune in app. So all these means will be available and inshallah we will try to have at least a, a weekly session with Sheikh Ruzwan as well uh, if all goes well uh, after Ramadan uh, on one of the topics uh, which we will discuss and announce later on this month inshallah uh, coming back to reflections for today iftar is at 9.09 and just before the break um, what we did was we started off with a story of two people who had uh, this immaculate, beautiful garden, almost uh, like a scene of a paradise. And one <coughs> says, it is because, uh, the, the, the success is ascribed to your own effort, to your own self, uh, and not to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. Th- that's the first scene, Sheikh. Well, that's the first scene. I mean, that's... Um the discussion about the the parable. The parable is interesting because of the fact that it, it provides what is essentially a method. So this is how it starts. And and so therefore strike for them a similitude of of two men. Ja'alna li jannatain who um one of whom to whom we have granted two gardens of grapes. And had we and, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala interesting enough he says, and we had surrounded both with date palms, had put between them green crops. Each of those two gardens brought forth its produce and failed not in the least therein, and we caused a, a, a river to gush forth in midst of them. And so 
the picture is of of um, intense um, affluence. It's of over overriding um, pleasure of God and God's um, munificence upon a specific person, and it leads to uh, a specific um, discussion here, which is about the person when they enter their garden. So when they enter into something which is so magnificent. Allah says, وَدَخَلَ جَنَّتَهُ وَهُوَ ظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِهِ And the person who's in charge of this and owner of this enters the garden and it says, وَهُوَ ظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِهِ And it's almost like picturing how the person entered. And he's unjust to himself. In a state of pride, in a state of arrogance. قَالَ مَا أَظَنُّ He says, I don't think أَن تَبِيدَ هَذِهِ أَبَدًا I don't think this will ever perish. Now, right away, the, the the vanity and the arrogance and the the degree of um, self-assuredness that this person has, he thinks that this will last forever. And we know that this is one of the the simple kind of um, calls of the Quraysh, is that they will live forever, everything will last forever, and they will never be taken into account. And so what happens here is the person is falling to the same trait. And he also then jumps from saying that this will last forever, وَمَا أَظَنُّ I don't think that the, that the hour, which is the hour of the end of time, قَائِمَة, will, ne- will ever be established. And so, and if he says, and if I'm indeed brought back to, to my Lord in the day of the resurrection, I surely shall find better than this when I return to him. So, this is heedless, uh, heedlessness upon heedlessness. Mm. This is uh, one false dawn after a second false dawn. This is one presumption after another presumption the first and it all starts from how he enters into the garden with this sense of haughtiness and pride and arrogance you know once you jump into something with pride and arrogance everything after that is is going to be affected by that pride and arrogance if you enter into something with hatred and enmity everything after that will be afflicted by hatred and enmity so it's almost like you have a tunnel vision through which you see everything based upon the first steps you take into a specific conversation, a specific interaction. And so at this point, Allah says, How this person comes into it is they're being, they're being unjust to themselves. Unjust to themselves because they place themselves where they don't belong. Because dhulm in Arabic is basically to do something um, in a way that doesn't belong where it is. Dhulm is basically to... Treat somebody in the way that they shouldn't be, they don't deserve to be treated, is to use something in a way that's not supposed to be used, is to place yourself in a place where you shouldn't be. So dhulm. So it's like you know, if you apply for a job and, and it requires specific qualities and you don't have them, it's as dhulm for you to take on that task and to say I can do this when you can't do it to yourself, mm. because what you're doing is you're placing too much upon yourself. To the point that you'll be unable and unsuccessful to do that. And as a result, all these people will be left wondering why you didn't leave it for somebody else to do. So part of you know, wisdom is to leave something that you're unable to take on. Not I'll to say, that. I'll try, I'll do it, I'll do it. No, you, if you can't do it, you just say, I am unable to do it. Or when you realize you're unable to do it, you say you, you're unable to do it. And so the problem of this person is that he starts from the wrong, the wrong foot. Allah says... He enters into وَدَخَلَ جَنَّتَهُ That's the first thing. Just, that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. 
But this is in, in Arabic, this is called Jumla Haliya, which is basically a sentence which describes the state of mind of the person when they go in to do something. So when he goes in, he is unjust to himself by thinking and presuming things that he has no right to presume. And the first thing is that he says that this will last forever. Second thing is that the, the error will never be accepted, you know, established. Meaning, if this will last forever, there shouldn't be any day of judgment. And then he says, and I don't think the error will be established. And then he says, in ridittu, if I was if I was to return from resurrection and, and, and return to God, he would give me even better than what I've got now. So presumption after presumption, based upon the arrogance. So this is, you know, a person who's wealthy and they and they ascribe their wealth to themselves. They always make that excuse that, you know, mm-hmm. I will be able to get over it when I need to through my wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, who's that person? Weinstein, for example, in, in the Me Too movement. He was in, implicit in in harassment uh, of numerous women. And you get this sense that I'm too, I'm too great to be touched. I am beyond reproach. I am the person that made Hollywood, in the end, everyone will realize they made a big mistake. Mm. So, you know, one step after another, after another, excuse after excuse, and one statement after another statement, always thinking that you have so much power and influence and wealth that you'll be able to, in the end, get out. And that's exactly that mindset that's here. Because you you, you get so involved in the power that you have that you think you're untouchable. This will never disappear. It disappears. The, the the error will never be established. It will be established. And then you're thinking, even if it gets established, I'll get the best lawyers. Mm. Like you can imagine him saying, okay, even if I did it and it's proven, I'll get the lawyers to make sure that they get a, find a loophole that will get me out. Now the point is, at a certain point, you, you trip. Mm. Like that mindset of that person and anybody who's in that state, they will trip at some point and that will all come back to you. So whether that is you know, having a false persona, like you having, you know, building yourself up to be something that you're not. And you're basically juggling by saying, I've done this in the past, I've done this in the past, I've done this in the past. And you've got this massive CV. No one's checking on it, but at a certain point you're going to trip. And if you don't trip in this life, you're tripping the hereafter. The whole point is, the nafs, unless it's been trained, I've seen this so many people, they claim that they've done all these things and when you, re- when you look at it, it's all made up and nobody's there to check what they've done and they just continue to grow and the nafs grows and grows, but they will trip. Trip meaning they'll be tripped by, uh, tripped by divine decree. Mm, yeah. And so then you look back and say, what is the purpose of all that? Is it not better to remain, um, you, know, you know, kind of content with what you have and essentially that is the other person. The other person is the contrast, the, the content heart of the believer. As opposed to the haughty arrogance of the person that believes that they will live, for, live forever. And so that's where the, the, sen, you know, the kind of voice of um, sanity comes in. His oh, companion no, no. said to him, during his conversation with him, do you disbelieve in Allah who created you from dust? then from a, a mixed drop of semen, and then fashioned you into a human being? Is that the person that you're disbelieving? Because by saying what you're saying, you're disbelieving in the one that brought you into being. If, the one that, if there's somebody that brought you into being, that, 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 that creator can recreate you after your death. Yeah. 
Uh, and th- that ties in with the story of the sleepers. Yeah, because remember this whole chapter is about uh, a focus on the idea of the resurrection being true. So at the end of the story of the sleepers, <coughs> it mentions that this is there to show you that the that the, the resurrection is true. Mm. That's one that's all the stated aims of it. And here, the, the, his, his companions are saying exactly the same thing. But, as for myself, he says, I believe in Allah, my Lord, and none shall I associate as partners with my Lord. The interesting here is, his, his companion who's rich and arrogant is not worshipping idols. Yeah. But what he's doing is, he's associating his nafs with Allah. And he has almost created himself as a god. So this comes again, in the previous section we were talking about when the Prophet was told to be patient with the people that are uh, cognizant of their relationship to God and not to look towards people who want worldly life. It's the same thing oh, here because when you follow your own nafs, you're essentially following it in worship. You're adoring it to the point that is the thing that has a final say. He says, his companion says, as for me, it is Allah who I worship. He's my Lord. I associate nothing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It would be better for you to say, when you entered your garden, that which Allah wills will come to pass. Masha Allah. You should have thought. Qulta Masha Allah. So when it says Qulta, you should have said. It doesn't mean you should have said. Qulta is also in Arabic is used to to indicate you should have thought. So qulta fi nafsika. In other words, when you entered, what you should have done, you know, reverse back. Ah, you should have said this. Now you go into your garden. Let's do this again. You know, it's like take two, take one, disaster. You go in, you get arrogant. It's going to last forever. No judgment day. Even if it's judgment day, God will give me better, complete mess up. Let's do this again. Go in and think what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says on the tongue of this person. And if and it would be better for you when you entered your garden to say Qulta means to think to yourself and to come to the cognition and understanding Allah, whatever God wills that God mm-hmm. wills me to have all this wealth is Allah's will not my will it's not my power not my volition there's no power in volition except by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is essentially the mindset he was correct in the mindset. Again, it's a question of perspective, isn't it? Perception, perspective. Perspective of time and the, and the discussion and sort of like, uh, uh, the people of the cave, perception of, of place in terms of Dhul uh, Qarnayn, it'll be a perception of of intention and source and and, um, and wealth. And in the story of Prophet Musa, we a sense of perception of causality and cause and effect. So all about perception. The simple thing that would have saved him was perception change. Mm-hmm. It's the only difference. The, the word I was looking for is... He's not the, saying to him, right don't go into your garden. The right perspective of life. Yeah, perspective. The, the right perspective. So, he's not saying, you know, the garden that you, gardens that you have gives them in charity. He says, rewind back and enter into it and say or think, MashaAllah. MashaAllah. This is why I said Imam Malik used to have Upon his on upon his abode, MashaAllah la quwwata illa billah. Upon his house, MashaAllah so, la quwwata illa billah. So this is 
And in fact, if you go to Morocco, if you've ever been to Morocco, above the doors of some of the most expensive houses, they always have, MashaAllah, yeah. La Quwata Illa Billah. I mean, Alhamra Gardens is just, uh, that's a reminder. Uh, yeah, no, La Hawla Wa La Quwata, everywhere That's essentially the same thing. It's, it's, nobody's saying, you know, sacrifice and donate your gardens and live a pauper. The only thing he was reminded was, is remind yourself of where this comes from. That is no power except um, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and what does he say? There is no power but Allah. If you see me less than you in wealth and children, even if you see me well less than you in wealth and children, it may well be that my Lord will give me something better than your garden and will send upon your garden husbana. Husban is like a... Um, it's like a, it's like a fireball. You know, it's like a, like a bomb, like a, like a, you know, like a. Yeah, it's like sending this destructive weapon that will just decimate from the sky. Then it will be, um, Said and Zalaka. Zalaka is like this mashed up, slidey uh, earth, meaning that. You know, the lushness, and the greenery, and the dates, and the vegetation, and everything. It will just be flat mud. Mm. Like nothing. All the way back. to Remember, you cultivate land. It's basically that slippery earth that you then plow. You plant. You have to start from scratch. So the image is, you had all this amazing thing. If you only had the perspective, God would preserve it for you in this life. And by extension, the hereafter, you'll find it. That lack of perspective of, of associating it with God and saying it's from Allah means that you basically have to start from scratch. You have nothing. Like that wealth and the, the power and the influence and the p- potentiality to do good has become like a barren field that you have to now, the metaphor is that you have to now go back and place the seeds and also then water and all the rest of it. And he says, all the water there of the, of the gardens will become Duncan seep under, un, uh, underground so that you will never be able to seek it. Even the water that gushes, the rivers that flow, the irrigation that has allowed the fruits to come into, into being, all of that will disappear. And it just requires God to, you know, um, make that call and that will exactly, that'll be exactly what happens. And then so Allah says, so his fruits were encircled with ruin. That's it. It happened. And he remained clapping his hands in sorrow over what you know he, he spent on it. While it was destroyed and every single thing was decimated. And he could only say, would that I ascribed no partners to my Lord. And what I said is, where did he do shirk? Mm-hmm. His, his perception of his power being the power that made everything. His own actions, his volition, his choice, his intelligence, his wealth, his children. He created that as his, his, his Lord, his idol, and he worshipped it. And that is exactly why everything comes to nothing. And so this is why, you know, this, this metaphor is exactly, is, is, the reason I said it's connected to the previous section about the companions of the Prophet and the Prophet is it essentially shows the two mindsets of people. The have, so it, not the it, haves and the have-nots. The people that have percept, perspective, perspective and the people that have no perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not about wealth. Don't think this is a, a condemnation of wealth or poverty or you know, glorification of poverty. It's a glorification of the right perspective over the wrong perspective. 
and the, the right perspective is is what the person said if you had entered in your garden when it's lush and 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 mashallah mashallah la quwwata illa billah if you'd said that khalas fine sheikh a bit on that mashallah la quwwata illa billah mm-hmm. that's the key that's the key mashallah la quwwata illa billah yeah, because think of it, MashaAllah is Mashiach is the, the will of God and the, and, the, and, the, and the desire of God. Now, the person who has less is essentially saying, look, I don't mind you have le- I have less than you. Yeah. Well, all you need to do is say, that's God's will. God's will is to give me more than he gave the other person. Khalas, don't have to boast about it, don't have to become arrogant. You become arrogant, you will fall into, into this trap of... of um, in the end worshipping your own nafs and the ends he's saying just say mashallah like because it, everything it's because god decided i have this not because of my children not because of my my activity my wealth ascribe it to god ascribe it to god your your success is ascribed to god mm. and your failings are ascribed to god no your failures are, are, are volition and choice this is something that's slightly different your ultimate um, turning of your or your success ultimately is to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Okay. Your 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 kind of failures are also willed by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. But they are in in, but, his, in his knowledge. Yes, but it but is the, due to your actions. Yes, but your choices. But not necessarily due to your actions. There's two issues here. One of which is the issue of your volition and choice. But your wealth is also part of your volition and choice. Like you could. Earn the wealth and it's your do your endeavors, etc., etc. But you still ascribe it out of good etiquette to God. Mm-hmm. Now, the opposite is the same. You could really mess something up and be, and be very unsuccessful with something because of your own misuse of something. In that situation, it's the poor etiquette to ascribe it to God that God knew it. At that point, you point it to yourself because it is an uh, an, uh, an end which is not desired. God knew it, God willed it, but God did not love it. So the difference here is that God wills it, God knows it, but does not love it. But God wills and knows and loves the thing that he's ordered you to do. So God has ordered you to be proficient. God has ordered you to try. God is, inna allaha katab al-ihsan ala kulli shay. God has ordered proficiency and perfection in all things. God has not ordered the opposite. God has not said... You know, God is ordered to be be sloppy and 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 and, and lacking in, in time management and and proficiency. So if you fall into that, you blame yourself because mm-hmm. God didn't order you to do that, did He? Yeah, sharpen your knife, sharpen your yes. saw. But the thing is, you can't see in all situations by the mercy of Allah. It is, but that's being disrespectful. But also taking away the fact that He's told you certain things to do and certain things not to do. So this is the thing. You take responsibility I, I, for actions. Yes, this is what I find interesting about people who are quite critical of religion. Um, when they try to be quite clever, they they miss big things in discussions about religion, which is this part of this, this discussion that everything's by the will of God. So you know, whatever the will of God is, it's going to happen anyway. But God, this, this interesting is that you you know that certain things are clear and certain things certain things are unclear. Certain mm-hmm. things are halal and certain things are haram. There are certain things in Islamic law which are grey. And we know that very clearly. Mm-hmm. If you think of um, any issue of Islamic law, this is why, you know, this, is, this shows the kind of lack of knowledge of so many people. And built upon that, the kind of arrogance that comes out of it. Because I always, t- I always say I teach. So I see interacting with people 
um, the, the 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 kind of blind spots in their knowledge and their and their expertise in Islam, and so what you find is, the less people know, the more they condemn. Hmm. It's like a rule. It's like a it's like a, it's like this exponential curve. The more somebody's arrogant or ignorant, the more they will lash out and be dismissive and 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 um, black and white in anything they do. Def- so this is like Facebook, Absolutely. Twitter. You'll find. There's a commensurate relationship that I notice between the lack of intellect in a person, intelligence, and stability of emotional um, discourse, and their understanding of Sharia. So the more a for, person for is understanding of uh, having knowledge of in any field, mm-hmm. if yes, it's, I, I'm, but I'm speaking. My field is keep my lane is yeah, is Sharia, so and I notice that know, very clearly. Less you will be arrogant. Oh, Arrogant, but also dismissive. I think dismissive, yeah. what you find is you more know, you know, you would say, "I don't know much." I mean, the best thing is you go through somebody's Facebook um, profile, or you go to through. I mean, the Facebook. I'm saying Facebook because that's like the mm. the common. You know, that's like like um, how can we say this? Um, it is the it's exactly it, uh, Sheikh. It's it's, it's a the profile. realm of the of the of the of the of of the socially. And disenfranchised but also emotionally impoverished people mm. <laughs> let's just put it that way the good are the good the bad are the bad within those discussions when, when people send me these threads about discussions on Islamic fiqh or an issue um, and sometimes the funny thing is scholars start them off and so it's such a bad thing to do that scholars start off discussions about things and then all these people um, you know jump in with, just, with their opinions the more dismissive the more absolute the post equals emotional kind of some 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 deep emotional imbalance but also you have this complete lack of any substance in terms of religious literacy and you can add you can add that to medical issues you can add that to in engineering you can add it to anything it's the same yeah so imam mazri radiyallahu anhu was known for for many things amongst them was and he considered to be a mujtahid uh, considered for one thing that he was so knowledgeable that he never condemned a thing a person did because he usually knew an opinion that justified that action. Mm. An opinion which was justifiable, which was validated and acknowledged. So he was a Maliki, but he would see other Malikis doing something else. He would say, oh, well, he must be following that opinion in the Maliki school or he must be following the other school or he might be of an opinion that this is, um, you know, of this context. Now, the more you know, the more that you're like that. The less you know, the more that you're black and white. Ya akhi halal, ya akhi haram, ya subhanal. You know, I've noticed, I was in um, Edinburgh, like, you, uh, my, the day my daughter was born, Ruqiyya, I, I, you know, she was delivered, about, I think, about 10 o'clock in the morning. I had a lecture at, at 3 o'clock. So I went to Edinburgh the same day. I was quite tired, so most of my wife is more tired than me. But the point is, I had an appointment. I went to it and I gave a lecture about Sharia. And then there was an Algerian brother who was a PhD student, but he kept arguing all through the lecture. Yeah. You know, somebody asked a question about something, and I answered the question. I said, "There's because it was a, it was a, it was an interesting question." I said, "There's like four or five different opinions on." The, I gave the opinions. And from the from the from the from the from the, from the front, I remember very well. From the front, I was so tired I can remember exactly what he was saying. Yeah, haramun la yajuz. So he's like ranting on about in Arabic, ammiya, kind of colloquial Arabic, the yeah. haram and all this kind of stuff. And um, 
people ignored him, I ignored him, and I kind of, no, first of all, I kind of said, okay, what do you mean? And he kind of explained, and I said, okay, well, there's this opinion, and this opinion, and there's this whole group of scholars today are saying this, and this, this. So I mentioned it all to him, and then afterwards, he was leaving, and I grabbed him, and I said, um, so, was it make, did it make sense? And he said the same, yeah, haram, la, <laughs> all this. Yeah, yeah. And then I said, I, didn't, I said, look, I'm going to explain to you the things I said, but between you and me, and there was somebody else I know very well with me. So I spent an hour explaining to him, what I was saying and in the end he he accepted to study with me because he gave it up but the point was why go through the stupidity of saying I know this I know that this is halal this is haram the sense of perception that we're talking about in Surah Al-Kahf is the fact that if you do not know then you keep the sense of perception that you don't know, do not know yeah it's the limit of your endeavor and nowadays they call it keeping in your lane whatever it is you want to call it call it but the point is have some humility in front of Allah and the thing that you think is halal or think the thing that you think is haram, unless you have the qualifications to engage in that discussion, the, the humble thing to do and the human thing to do and the sensible thing to do is to just to leave the discussion. I don't know. I don't know. Not to slander people, not to character assassinate people, not to, you know, set up your own um, political, <laughs> religious political party, your own movement, torture your children, and go on some kind of crazy, um, you know, journey and of self discovery yourself. When the religion has been given and it is clear as 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 the light of day, mm. so there's certain things that are clear as the light of day. This is why Imam Jawaini, in his um, book on Usul al Fiqh al Burhan, he said that things that are arrived by legal thought and understanding are considered to be fiqh and the majority of things are like that in other words the majority of things in Islamic law are open to interpretation mm. like 99% easily and then you've got this small group of things that are not which are basically not even called fiqh they're basically called sharia they're basically known to be as they are and so knowing that it means that you kind of you stick to what you know and the perception that you have when you deal with things is very, very clear. So 99% of my faith is interpretation. I mean, 99% of faith is interpretation, but that thing, that 99%, out of that, 20%, all scholars will agree what the interpretation is. Yeah. So don't say you have a blank check. No. 99% of it is interpretation, meaning when the scholars looked at that 99%, 20 or 30% of that or even 5% of this said okay we all agree the interpretation is this which is ijma' then which is then you can't pick and choose so this is where you can be black and white so it's not that only you know 1% of Islam is black and white a lot of it is clear based on consensus but the thing is you need to know that I mean if you don't know um, Ibn Mundar's book on uh, you know on the the various topics of that discussion then you have to step aside, you know, know, whatever your profession is, if you are a a dentist, doctor, engineer, grocer, uh, IT consultant, you know, stick to fixing computers, Mm. you know, stick to taking people's teeth out, stick to, you know, wherever 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 floats your boat, stick to it. Perception of religion is, is, is important that you preserve it based upon what we know is true and what is correct. And it's, it's simple. As we've seen through the story, the parable of the, 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 the gardens, the two gardens, the issue, the mistake was that perception in the mind. Mm. 
the person did do anything. Did he kill somebody? Did he decimate? Did he? No. I am gracious to the new and wealth and children. I don't think this is going to, I don't think, I don't think, well, guess what? It is going to happen. And it did happen. And that was the parable. The parable is one person content, relating everything to God, the source of all good, and advising the person that's wrong on what he should do. And one person who is advising upon what is wrong, insisting upon it, having everything decimated. Mm. And that parable comes straight after the parable of Ashab al-Kahf. And the reason for that is, you have the same thing. The person calling people to worship idols, and they're, they turn their back, and, and, and really everything to the true creator, the true sustainer. So there's, there is very s- subtle connections, even apart from the theme I'm talking about, of mm-hmm. barzakh, of perspective, of, of the world, the worldly perspective, and the hero- hereafter perspective, the natural and the supernatural. There's all these themes, but there is also a very beautiful um, connection between all the different movements of, of the story as well. That are worth kind of for people when they read it. Sometimes it appears when you read it, sometimes it doesn't. This is the whole point of the Surah Al-Kahf. You write it, recite it every Friday. Mm-hmm. There's enough there for your whole life to recite and get a new meaning every time, inshallah. Uh, time is uh, what we have just now. Um, yeah, it's 9.03 and if that today is a 9.09, we inshallah will leave you with uh, some uh, nasheed and gems of wisdom followed by adhan at 9.09. <coughs> Tomorrow, uh, we'll start at 7.30 and what I see coming is, uh, is a beautiful discussion, uh, inshallah, of uh, Surah Kahf, ayah number 40 onwards. Until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content.